welcome to E4H Speaks, our in-house podcast featuring E4H team members who keep our firm elevated through talent, commitment, and passion for healthcare design. I'm your guest host, Anne-Marie Garcia, and today I'm speaking with Marissa Walzak, an interior designer in our Boston office. Thank you for being here today, Marissa. It's a pleasure to get to know you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Marissa, as I mentioned, you work in our Boston office. How long have you been with E4H? I have been a part of the E4H team for just over five years now. So how did you get into interior design? I was interested in both the traditional academics, especially like my math classes, as well as the arts. And so I looked for opportunities where I could do both. And in high school, I actually was one of the only girls in my grade to take a drafting elective where I got to design products in AutoCAD and then take my drawings over to the school's machine shop and watch the machines bring my designs to life. And I just love the feeling of seeing the creative side and the technical side come to form in 3D. And I still do today, which is why I love interior design. That's wonderful. So uh, why healthcare interiors? So I chose healthcare interiors because I've had a few personal experiences at hospitals and I've had some loved ones, some family, some friends um, who've battled various illnesses or injuries over the years. So I can empathize with how stressful it can be to be in a healthcare facility and I know that good design has the ability to make a space more calming and more comfortable. And it's one of the most rewarding feelings knowing that my designs can positively impact the built environment and help improve the patient and the family experience. I think that's, that's great. That's wonderful to hear. I think a lot of excellent designs come from a place of empathy and compassion, absolutely. So what inspires you in the design world? There are quite a few things that inspire me. I really enjoy seeing beautiful and thoughtful architecture and design, or when I see innovative applications of finishes or materials. But I would also say that I'm inspired by my clients and when I meet them or the end users and I see how passionate they are about what they do, it really inspires me to wanna do my job to the fullest. Um, so. I find a little bit of inspiration everywhere, but those are probably some of the main places. So you've been quite active with the IIDA, which is the Commercial Interior Design Association. Can you tell us a little bit about your role as an IIDA emerging leader? Yes, so I was very fortunate to be a part of the IIDA Emerging Leaders Network, and that gave me the opportunity to participate in a year-long program that connected me with a about 25 other local design professionals, and they helped educate me on some of my leadership strengths. So throughout the year-long program, we participated in meetings and different activities where we discussed various career skills, such as effective communication techniques and business development, financial wellness, all things that will enhance my skills as a design professional. That's great. So what advice can you give young designers? My advice would be to not be afraid to ask questions and 
always pitch ideas, put yourself out there. I learned that you really get the most out of an experience when it becomes a two-way conversation. And you never know where the next great idea or great design will come from. So put yourself out there and always ask those silly questions because oftentimes they really aren't that silly at all. That's great advice. What do you think the future of healthcare interior design will look like moving forward as we continue to navigate the current pandemic? I think that innovation will always be a driving force behind the future of design. Uh, flexibility and technology will be a priority in how we see design evolving and giving people more control over their environments and allowing us to live and work more efficiently. In response to COVID-19, I've seen a lot of quick fixes, which I think work well for the immediate need, but I've really seen some great brainstorming about how to address those long-term solutions, which I think will be the most beneficial in the long run. And actually, E4H has created some really great literature that can offer several of the markets that we specialize in, some tips and techniques to help our clients move forward. And I was fortunate enough to help create some of that content and research this topic more since it's definitely something super prevalent right now. So what's your favorite project and why? The first project that comes to mind would be the Maine Behavioral Health Center for Autism, which will be expanding both healthcare and educational services for an underserved population in Portland, Maine. And during the design of this project, I was able to spend a lot of time researching the needs of those on the autism spectrum and work closely with the end users there to create a custom design catered to the students, patients, staff, and families who will all be visiting the center. The design is just fun and incorporates elements from nature along with other evidence-based design appropriate for autism. You mentioned incorporating elements from nature in this design. Was this your first experience using biophilic design in a project? I've worked on projects where I've incorporated an element of biophilic design, but the Center for Autism was really the first project I was able to tie in a lot of the principles that worked hand in hand with a lot of the research I had done for autism design. So from natural materials and organic shapes and patterns and prospect and refuge and really studying the lighting. I just, there's so many things I was able to incorporate, which was amazing. I would love to do more work within biophilic design because I think biophilia can just play an important role in improving health and well-being. Absolutely. There's a lot of research out there that uh, proves that. So speaking of your, your research for the autism spectrum, you wrote an article called Five Important Factors When Designing for Autism Spectrum Disorder in a Pediatric Environment, which was published in Healthcare Facilities Today in May. Congratulations. Thank tell you. Me more, tell me more about these factors. And is there something that made you interested in that particular facet of healthcare design? So when looking at autism design, lighting and acoustics are huge considerations. So it's important to consider the type of lighting you're using in a space, um, as well as the potential noises that might be an irritant or distract distraction for those trying to concentrate or stay engaged. So for the Center for Autism, we really looked at incorporating daylighting, as well as some circadian lighting, which 
was a first time for me using that. And what it is, is tunable white light that can adjust throughout the day, which mimics the lighting that you see in nature, which was also very important. So incorporating some of those, as well as in terms of acoustics, using acoustic finishes that would both reduce noise, but also absorb noise. Um, and then also looking at ceiling treatments and other ways to help with the acoustics in the space. In addition to those, I would say a lot of attention should be given to the details of the design. So you wanna make sure you're creating a very safe environment. But what's also important is that the space is sensory balanced. And so we looked at that in a couple different approaches and the first being low stimulus versus high stimulus zones. So areas where it was high stimulus, we were encouraging the students to come and explore and kind of have that sense of independence. And we really wanted to incorporate it because that was what they see kind of in that outside world. And we don't want to just kind of shelter them. So we really wanted to create spaces that were more stimulating, more colorful, more vibrant to kind of mimic those environments. But then in more low stimulus zones, such as classrooms, we wanted to kind of keep the color palette more simplistic, muted colors, neutral colors, lots of absorptive finishes to really help the students kind of keep their heads down and focused to complete the different task at hand. So that was one way that we addressed the sensory zoning. And what's also important between those zones is creating transitions between them, just so that they can feel more comfortable, more familiar as they kind of transition from one space to the next. So creating these different transitions between these spaces was also very important. And I would say the last thing would be that sense of prospect and refuge, which I mentioned when talking about biophilia. We wanted to make sure that if there was kind of a sense of anxiety, we created spaces or nooks that would allow the students to kind of retreat to, to take some time for themselves to just process and kind of adjust to the environment, um, just so that once again, that they felt more comfortable in each of the spaces. So those three things were really also important in considering the design for autism. In addition to just the finishes, making sure that considering those low and high stimulus zones and that nothing was sharp or overstimulating for them. So a lot of the different things to consider. It sounds like a, a state-of-the-art facility and we are very excited to watch the completion of that project happen. Marissa, thank you so much for chatting with me today. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is fun. This has been E4H Speaks with your guest host, Anne-Marie Garcia. Join us next time to find out more interesting tidbits and fun facts about our talented E4H employees.